Now, I think it's eminently fitting that in a book devoted to wisdom, an excellent, praiseworthy woman should have the last word. <laughs> because Proverbs is a book about wisdom, and it talks about wisdom all the way through, from the very first chapter to the very last. And here we have this wonderful lady that we've been looking at for a little while, and a mother at that. And in a sense, this is the last word in advice, this is the model for us, and it's as up-to-date as ever. And I think it's very important in a changing society that as the family disintegrates around us, we have a look at what the biblical idea of family is all about. And you know, parents are supposed to be raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and we get kids raising adults. Did you see in USA Today, I don't know if you get that paper, but I was somewhere down south and reading the paper on the airport. And this kid, this five-year-old, repeatedly calls 911 to get his mother arrested for smoking dope. And in the end, the police come and arrest her. And the comment in it was, he was so pleased with himself. <laughs> I'm thinking, here's a five-year-old turning his mother in, so pleased with himself, which is beyond me. But the whole thing is upside down. The whole thing is the wrong way up. And we need to know where in the Bible does it say that family is God's idea? Where in the Bible does it say that a family is like this and behaves like this? And let me just give you, I'm not going to go into them, but just let me give you the areas in the Bible so you have them down and you can know and you can turn when your children say to you, where does it say this is wrong or that is wrong? You need obviously to go to Ephesians 5 and 6. Ephesians 6 is what's called the tables in the early church, in the society in which the pagans who were being converted were living, they needed some rules to live by for the family. How does a Christian man treat a Christian woman? And how does a Christian wife deal with a non-Christian husband? And how do Christian children behave when the family is divided? And so they came out with what's called the tables, and they are in Ephesians 6, how children behave, how fathers and mothers parent. And then, of course, Ephesians 5, we start and look at how Christ treats the church and how that's a picture of the husband treating the wife. In the Old Testament, of course, you can go to Hosea and see the picture that God puts out there about him being the faithful husband and Israel being the unfaithful wife. So in the Old Testament, as you go through the prophets and many, many other places, you see the picture that God paints. He has made a covenant like a marriage covenant. I will be your husband, Israel. You will be my wife. Be faithful to me. And Israel began to be unfaithful and serve other gods. That was treated like adultery by the prophets. So you have the picture in the Old Testament, and it comes right over into the new, into the way Christ treats his church and how he nourishes and cherishes and loves and gives himself sacrificially as a husband does for a wife. That's how a Christian husband behaves. How the wife responds and fills up and responds and submits in the sense of really responding to her husband's love. So you have that in Ephesians. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is asked about divorce, and he starts talking about marriage instead. He says, don't let's talk about divorce. From the beginning of time, God ordained marriage. It's a creation ordinance. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave, the leaving and the cleaving, and the two shall be one flesh, and let no man put them asunder. And so the great statement of marriage by Jesus Christ is in Luke chapter 10. Remember that, Luke chapter 10. Turn to it, know it, be able to have talked about that to your children. 
Why should people get married anymore, said a teenager to one of our mothers. The mother said, I don't know where to look in the Bible. Luke chapter 10, show her from the beginning of time, God has ordained marriage, and Jesus emphasized it. So, motherhood, fatherhood, in the tables in Ephesians and also in Colossians, those two places where children's relationship to parents are talked about. But I think it's in Deuteronomy 6 that I want to start. Deuteronomy 6, remember that the patriarchal father was the priest of the family, was the head of the family, of the extended family. There would be 20, 30 people living in a compound together. And so the head of that family would be very much male orientated. And so it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. These commandments I give you today that are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6 is the great statement. As soon as it's been made, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Impress it on your children. It is the parent's responsibility, the believing Judeo-Christian ethic, is that we should teach our children that the Lord is one God. The Bible teaches us that we are to teach our children. Now, in a day when we say, well, we have to let them make up their own minds, we don't in pinge our faith on our children. We want them to choose for themselves. We do want to choose them for themselves. We want them to have the choices laid out before them, don't we? And so it is our job to do that. Now, when you look in Proverbs 31, and you look into Proverbs 30, which is just the chapter before, you can see that Proverbs talks to us about the mother and the father. And the father is told to command his children, but the mother is told to teach her children. And again, I haven't got my verse here, but it's in Proverbs 30, somewhere around there. The father's commands are to be kept all the way through Proverbs. You keep coming back to this. My son, keep my commandments and heed your mother's teaching. So the father is laying out the commandments and the mother is teaching them. And the patriarchal mother did a lot of teaching as she was baking the unleavened bread for all the feasts. She would say, this is what it's about. She would bake it in symbols. She would explain to the children as they sifted the flour, as they put it in the ovens. This is talking about what happened the night we escaped from Egypt, the unleavened bread. Didn't have time to rise, and so it was unleavened. And it had to be ready to go at any minute. And so it speaks of that great event, and the mother would be teaching her children. And that is our job. Now, as we teach our children, it's a very great encouragement to me to see in this Proverbs 31 chapter a real queen, not a model one, teaching Lemuel, a real son. And the beginning of that chapter is very, very interesting. The sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. Now, those of you that are raising small children, I bet at this point you can't quite relate to that. Maybe I don't know what stage of child rearing you are. Can you imagine your child growing up and sending in a book to a publisher saying, these are the sayings my mother taught me. <laughs> I just have to write a book about my mother's advice. Now, that might really be wild as you look at your children at this point to imagine them doing that. But what a wonderful thing. If your children rose up to call you blessed and said, I have got to capture in a book, in writing, my mother's advice. My mother's advice. 
Don't be afraid to give advice. Then you will be queen of your children's heart. You say, well, they never listen to me. Don't be so sure. You give your advice anyway. And in this day and age when many kids are calling their parents inadequate, controlling, obsessive, abusive, lacking in some sort of parenting skills, all of us hope our kids will arise and call us blessed. So what did she do right? Well, first of all, she prayed for him. The sayings of King Lemuel, Oh, my son, oh, son of my womb, oh, son of my vows. And that oh is a very expressive word. It comes right from the depth of the soul. Oh, that's a mother's oh. And let me tell you from my vantage point, it never finishes, it's never over. The prayer for your children when they're little, when they're infants, when they're babies, when they're grade school, when they're junior high, when they're high school, when they're college, when they're young marrieds, when they're middle-aged, and if you're still around when they're coming into their old age, never, ever stops. And if we do not learn to pray with an oh, then our prayers aren't going to be answered. There is a cost to the prayers of a mother that are going to get answered. They are royal o's. <laughs> royal o's. And this queen said, oh son, oh son of my vows, and that is a word she had taken him to the temple. She had dedicated him. She had given him to God. And probably all of us can think back to the dedication of our children, the baptism of our children, whatever. And we think of how we stood in church and we gave them to God. They were the son, the daughter of our vows. What was this vow? That he would be a royal royal that he would be a royal royal. Royal royals should be royal in behavior. It's something that we feel we have a right to expect of them in their marriage, in their relationships, in their faithfulness, etc., in their kingly behavior. And here this queen, this real queen, is saying, it's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine nor for rulers to crave beer. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up, judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. It's not for kings, O Lebuel. It's not for kings. Now, at some point, your prayers need to be realized as you bring your children to faith, a faith they are going to go on and believe. They cannot behave. They cannot behave their faith unless they believe. And the first thing a mother has to do is to lead them to the faith of her fathers, as this woman had done. Now, we don't think she was a Jewish woman, but we think she was a descendant of Hagar, and so she had Abraham's teaching somewhere back there. And how complete a knowledge this queen had of what she needed to do in her teaching for the children or not, we have no idea. But she came a long way baby when you read the advice that she gave to Lemuel. However, there was one thing she was sure of. She wanted her little boy to know the God that she knew, the God of her vows. And she wanted him to behave in a royal fashion because of it child of the king. And that's what we're trying to raise, isn't it? We're trying to raise little children of the king. Every Christian child is of royal stock, and we want them to behave as such. Bringing a child up to know Christ is the beginning, and I hope you know how to lead a child to faith. And just before I move on, let me give you perhaps a little clue here. Maybe nobody's ever walked you through this, but if you could just learn, say, four verses like Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, John 3.16, Revelation 3.20. And at an appropriate time when the child gives you an opportunity, 
just walk them through that. Talk about Romans 3.23, how not doing the things God wants us to do is sin. Not being like Jesus is sin. And you can draw a little, you can use a blackboard or use a, a pencil and get them to draw with you and, and draw a little uh, target and a bow and arrow and say, this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to hit the mark. He wants us, and the mark is, is the bullseye, and the bullseye is being like Jesus. And we try to be like Jesus, but all our arrows fall short. We just aren't as good as Jesus. And that's what is called sin. And then Romans 6, 23, try and keep it in their world. I was trying to think of something because one of my grandchildren at the age of four asked me what hell was. He'd been to Sunday school. And I always like to emphasize the love of God and the friendship of Jesus when they're very small. But you, if, they, if they ask, and also you can't avoid talking about the dark side of things. And the love of Jesus doesn't make much sense unless we tell the child why he loved us so much and he died for us, or what does that mean? And Drew said to me that he had heard about hell and where was it and what was it and who was going there. And so I had an opportunity to tell him and I was, I was racking my brains to think of an illustration and in his world. And he and Jordan were playing up and Judy's punishment for them is time out and they always go and sit on the bottom stairs in the hallway time out, and they, they're very obedient. I don't know when they're going to figure out they don't need to do it, but at the, I'm, I'm amazed. Judy says, time out, Drew, and he runs obediently to the bottom of the stairs and sits there, and then just keeps saying, is it time yet? Mom, it's time, can I come out? And this day, both he and Jordan were sitting on the bottom of the stairs, both in time out, and that gave me my clue. And I said, remember what we were talking about, Drew? And I didn't, Nana was, was thinking about a picture or, or a story to tell you. Time out, that's the story. Hell is like being sent to time out forever, and it never ends. And you keep calling, can I come out? And the answer is no. That's what hell is. It's a place apart from God, and it's not like the bottom stair where you've got the light on above you, it's dark. And I used that illustration of time out, and it was very effective for that little boy. And then, of course, we can tell the child how Jesus died for them, and I always use my little illustration, which I think is pretty good, and I just keep it in my Bible because I use it on the plane, and I use it in all sorts of children's lives, of how Jesus was spotless, and he had never done anything wrong, and he was crucified between two thieves that had, remember? And then one of the thieves said, I'm sorry, and Jesus said, then you can come to heaven, I'll forgive you. But to forgive him, he had to do something about that black sin, because you can't go to live in heaven if you're not like Jesus. This is what Jesus is like, and this is what we're like. And so what Jesus did, he took all the black sin into himself, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, verse in Peter. And that meant that the thief was like Jesus had been, and he could go to heaven. But what happened to Jesus? Well, he had to be punished for all those sins that the thief had done. And that's what happens. And so you explain very simply what it means that Jesus died for them. And then you say, do you want to thank him for doing that? And then you can use Revelation 3.20. It's the verse my husband came to the Lord through, out of context, but who cares if it works? <laughs> Behold, I knock on the door of your life, and I want you to open it. In fact, I made a little door in those child evangelism days, a little wooden door, and it had bolts on the back, and each bolt was something that kept Jesus out of our lives. And the handle was on the inside, and the child had to open all those bolts, all the different things. 
and open the door for Jesus. And usually when I lead a child to Christ and you don't want to impose your personality on them because they want to please you, make sure the Spirit is leading you and you've got an opportunity and their heart is open and tender. But when that opportunity comes, don't let anybody rob you of that opportunity, Mother. That's your, your chance. You're the one that should be doing this and have the joy of it. That's not to say other people don't have the joy as well as they help you to lead your children and teach your children. But when you pray with them, give them assurance. And what I usually do is I go outside the door and have a little game with them and I knock on the door. And I say, when I knock, you open the door. And they open the door and I step inside and I close the door behind me and I say, now, where am I? You're inside, Nana. You're inside. Where was I? You were outside. And what happened? You knocked on the door. And who opened the door? I did, Nana. And where am I now? I'm inside. And then I usually say to them, can I come in? Can I come in? And they look at me as if I'm crazy. Can I come in? You're in, Nana. Right. Right. You don't have to ask me in again. I'm in. Make sure that you give them assurance of their salvation. And you have led that child to faith. Now, the rest of your life, you're going to be helping them to live in a royal way. Judy and I wrote a book, I Caught a Little Big Fish, How to Help Your Children Develop a Relationship with God. Fishing for Faith in the Heart of Your Child. And we have told, just very simply, in both sides of our families, and we have regenerate families all around, our married spouses as well, and I, I just asked them to give me a little page on how they came to Christ. Absolutely amazed me. I've told all those stories in here that every single one of our children and their spouses came to Christ under the age of six. Every one of them. We caught little big fish in those days. You never know what you're catching when you catch a little big fish. But it's an incredible thing to have that privilege of starting it. But then you keep it going. How do you then help them to live Christianly in a non-Christian world? Well, let's get some hints. First of all, don't be afraid of negatives. Don't be afraid of negatives. Have you told your child what the 10 no-no's are? That's the 10 commandments. When you think of the 10 commandments, think of them. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. They're no-no's. And they're pretty big no-no's. When God wanted to say the 10 most important things to the human race, he gave us 10 no-no's. He really gave us negatives. And what I think is happening is we are afraid of the negatives. Now, I'm going to talk about the positives for the rest of this talk. But we mustn't be afraid of absolutes, of the negatives. Tell your children. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to get drunk. It's not for kings, O Lemuel, to ignore your responsibilities to the poor. It's not for kings, O Lemuel, to just use your position uh, just for your own advantage. It's not, it's not, it's not. Don't be afraid of drawing the line. A child that isn't rebuked or reminded of those no-no's feels its actions have no consequence. Therefore, it has no consequence. If you never correct, if you never rebuke, if you never discipline a child, they don't matter. Therefore, what they do doesn't matter. Therefore, who they are doesn't matter. And the negatives are very, very important. Have you ever sat down and explained the Ten Commandments for your children? Let's just go through some of them. There is only one true God and we are not to worship idols. Have you ever told your children that there is only one God and only one way to worship him? 
through Christ, and that Christ was God. Now, in a day and age where toleration is the word, toleration of anybody else's religion, respect for what people believe, yes, respect for the fact that they need a choice to understand, and reject, for they have free will, yes. You know how many times in Isaiah 42.8, in Isaiah 43.11, lots and lots of verses you can find, God says, I only I am a savior. I only I am the true God. Beside me, there is no other. Israel, listen. And the first two commandments have to deal with the fact that Christianity is true. Well, that's the first two commandments. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Teach it to your children as you walk by the way, as you sit at the table, as you, as you just in the ordinary time of day as it comes up. Isn't it wonderful that God has chosen our family to know this truth that there is one way and that we know Jesus and we're going to heaven. Secondly, thou shalt not swear. On her tongue was the law of kindness, not crudeness. Make sure you model this. Watch all the things that your mouth says. In my book, Body Language, there's a chapter on obscenity and swearing and all the different words that are defined differently. What is taking the Lord's name in vain? What is obscenity? What is swearing? What is blasphemy? But basically, let's deal with taking the Lord's name in vain because that is a no-no. It's a no-no. Big no-no. God's no-nos. <laughs> this is one of his. And Jesus says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, just to be safe and make sure that you're not doing one of God's no-no's. I remember Pete coming home from school at the age of four with a mouthful of all these words that he shouldn't be saying. It only took him a week to figure that out. And I remember Judy saying, oh, you should hear what Peter's saying, all those bad words. So when I put him to bed that night, I said, Peter, you, where are you learning all these words at school, mummy? Well, these are bad words, they're God's no-no's. Well, how will I know what they are, mummy? Well, you've certainly learned a few of them. Well, are there any more? Yes, there are. How will I know what they are? Tell me, mummy. So I said, well, okay, you will hear mummy say these once. You'll never hear mummy say them again. But just so that you get it, I'm going to give you a list of these no-no's, okay? Because that's one of God's rules, royal rules here for royal children like you, Pete. Okay, mummy. So I began going down the names, all the ones I could think of. And uh, I'd had a pretty filthy mouth myself before I was converted, and so I was reaching back to think of all this, and I just, I thought I'm gonna do everything I possibly can. And each time I'd do one, Pete's such an actor, you know, he'd go <sighs> <laughs> Put his head under the pillow, I mean. So I went my way down this list until I can think of no more, and I said, now there you are, Peter. And he says, you've forgotten to. <laughs> A little imp knew them all the time. He just wanted to hear me say them. However, I was able to say to him, okay, you tell me what the two are, Peter. So he did. I said, okay, let's add them to the list. Now, if mommy hears any of those words, then there's going to be a timeout or whatever. It's a no-no. Let them know what the no-nos are. Three has to do with Sunday, going to church for his sake, keeping the Sabbath day holy. Well, they had a Saturday, we have a Sunday, this has got to be a special day. And you know, for Christian children, it's not always so, 
For Christian children, they find church difficult sometimes, especially pastor's kids or leader's kids. seem to have them here every day of the week and they're in and out those doors. Don't start and treat Sunday like any other day. That's a no-no. It must be special. How can we make it special? How can we make it different? How can we set it apart in some way for rest and worship and recreation in the right sense and family days? Is it the best or the worst of your days? I was really sad to hear a pastor's wife say, Sunday is my worst day. Sunday is my worst day. And that's for different reasons. You're on your own. Your husband's very busy looking after everybody else's children. And it's a very, very difficult day for a leader's wife. In fact, I was, <laughs> I was speaking at a pastor's wives thing not too long ago, and I said to them, what's your most difficult thing? And they said, oh, Sunday. And one of them said, oh, I tell you, she said, I had my kids down at the front. I usually sit at the back, but I had my three kids in this. I, there was nowhere else to sit. And my little girl was absolutely impossible, and so I had to take her out in front of everybody. And she said, as we walked down the aisle, she began to shout to the congregation, pray for me. I think she got her head knocked off when she got outside the door. Can you imagine how humiliating that must have been? Pray for me. But it's hard to raise Christian children still loving and liking church. And they might get in a Sunday school class where it's different and they don't want to come. What do you do? Well, when they're little, you pick them up and you put them in the car and you bring them and you, that's it. But when they hit the junior high period, I remember turning around, finding my Pete standing behind me, taller than me. I had a hot dish in my hand, and I said, move, Pete, move, move, you're going to get burned. And I looked up to become in a still point with my son as he had suddenly come to the realization that I couldn't make him. And he simply said, make me, Mom. And we stood looking at each other, and my heart went, boop. <laughs> it's over. I can't pick him up and put him in the car anymore. And it was shortly after that that Pete decided he didn't want to come to church anymore. He said, Dad preaches too long. It's boring. Well, here we are, the senior pastor's wife, and here's one of my children that doesn't want to go to church. What am I going to do? I tried everything I could that day. Willpower. Get in the car, Pete. We are going to church. We got to church. He did not turn in here. He went behind the coat racks. So I went behind the coat racks. I think it was at that point a lady approached me and said, have you read the Dobson books? <laughs> Could have hit her over the head with one at that point. Here I was wrestling with this child who didn't want to go to church, and I realized I was wrestling with more than that. First of all, I was wrestling with what would the church think of Jill Briscoe, that her son didn't want to come to church. And I apologized for that. I said, Pete, I think I'm concerned that people are wondering about me and I should be concerned about you and why you don't want to come to church. I said, please, will you go to church? We will talk about this this afternoon. We'll sit down and we'll talk it out. And so that's what we did. And we took some concessions. We gave him some concessions. You will be in church Sunday morning. You can choose if you have a good reason Sunday night. We had Sunday evening services then. You will be in a youth group during the week, but you can choose. And we took his mind off the royal rules and put them on his choices and his concessions and lightened the load a bit, and that's what he did. And he did not choose to come to the youth group here, which was very difficult for me to accept. We had a wonderful youth group, a wonderful youth pastor. He just didn't click. He didn't fit. But he found his own, and he chose. And he chose Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which was great. He was a basketball player. 
and that's what turned him on. And so you keep an eye on your children, as this woman did. Keep an eye on your children. Keep an eye on your household. And you try and figure out what's happening in their little lives. And it is absolutely normal in junior high age to have kids that do not want to go to church. Do not think you're the only mother on earth that is coming into this. So, just hang in there. This too will pass. I remember Pete Briscoe sitting up there with his head on his hands every time his dad began to preach. His body language saying, I do not want to be here. This is boring. When can I get out of here? And in the end, I said, would you sit behind a pillar? <laughs> the whole church is watching you, Pete, as soon as your dad begins to preach. And I remember Wynn Couchman saying to me, I'm praying for Pete. How fitting he became a junior high pastor because he really understood those kids and how to make church interesting for them. Sunday, it's one of God's no-nos. Don't let it become like any other day. Four, respect mom and dad. Do what God wants you to do. It means doesn't argue, means doesn't answer back. Five, kill. A mom tells her kids that she, he must have a respect for life, that life is sacred. You know, in other cultures, they don't get it. I remember being just down in Columbia and a Wycliffe missionary explaining to me that they had no word for forgive and they had no word for sorry. And they had no word for sin. And there wasn't such a thing as sin. And a man had told the missionary, I killed a man. I made an error today. I killed a man. It was an error. It wasn't sin. And so what you do when you're trying to translate the Bible and there isn't a word for forgive, and forgiveness means nothing if there isn't an acknowledgement of sin or an absolute that you have trigressed, how do you explain and what do you put in the Bible? Very, very difficult. This particular missionary <laughs> was in a tribe where they all lived in hammocks and the men slung their hammocks in the tops of the trees and the women in the bottom of the trees with the kids and you would have three or four hammocks if you had a lot of children in one tree. And at night, they would all go to bed at sundown because they didn't have any lights or anything and there was nothing else to do but swing in their hammocks. And they would sing on a town. And the men would start and it would be a litany of the day of all the wife had not done. And they would start and say, you didn't hoe a straight row today. And the women underneath would reply in harmony, you're mad with me and I don't care. You're mad with me and I don't care. <laughs> And then the men would come up with the next one. You did not bring the water from the river today when I asked you to. You're mad with me and I don't care. You're mad with me. Now, don't let this give you any ideas. Don't get bunk beds. But that's because they don't have a concept of saying sorry or I'll change. And so the complaint is put out and the wife says, well, you're mad with me and I don't care. Not a way to have a happy marriage. That's for sure. But it's a situation where absolutes have not been taught. No-nos have not been explained. The punishment for no-nos and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness for no-nos that have been perpetrated. Thou shalt not lie. But little lies are what the heart knows perfectly well to do. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's bike, thy neighbor's shoes, thy neighbor's basketball lessons, thy neighbor's soccer, thy neighbor's riding lessons or gymnastics. Children have to know they should not say, I want what she's got. We have to model that ourselves, and we have to learn to be content with such things as we have and live within our means. That's a no-no. 
to want what another child has. And only Christ can help a little child's heart to be content with the toys and the things that she has and he has. Secondly, give them the no-nos, the negatives. Be specific. It's not for kings, O Lemuel, to get drunk. Tell your kids, don't drink and drive. If you're at a party, you need a way home, call me. You are not to get into the car with a guy that's even had one drink. Do you understand? That's a no-no. Be specific. Dating, tell them. Don't be a good girl, because in be a good girl these days means let the boy have a thank you in the back seat of the car for the night out. If he's paid, then she responds. And you have to spell it out. I remember Bob's rule. I tried to get it out of my teenagers, what Bob's rule was on dating, and they wouldn't tell me. It's just between our youth pastor and us, Mom. But one night I was wrestling with Pete, trying to give him a kiss. He was about 14, of course, he didn't want me kissing him. So we got into this fight, and I said, I'm going to kiss you goodnight. And we were doing pillows and stuff. And in the end, I got him just here. And he said, oh, you broke Bob's rule. And I said, go on, Pete, you tell me. The others won't tell me. What's Bob's rule? And he said, Bob's rule is don't lie down, nothing below the neck, and don't take anything off. Oh, I said. <laughs> And my kids grew up with that and have since testified it saved them many a time at a drive-in movie. It saved them many a time on a date because it was specific. Don't lie down. Nothing below the neck. Don't take anything off. Helpful. Be specific like this Queen of Hearts was. So you're negative and then you're positive. The rest of Proverbs 31 is positives all the way. Yes, yeses. This is what... The woman I want you to find is like, and every single verse is positive. So there are negatives, there are no-nos, but make sure in your raising of your children, there are lots of yes-yeses. It's a wonderful privilege to be a Christian, even though there are no-nos for us, that other children might be able to have yes-yeses, and you can't because you're a royal royal. Kings care about all these things. And give them a positive thing to get involved in, rights and responsibilities for the child. Make sure you're talking to your children. This man and woman were talking together. Probably he was coming up to receiving his throne, probably in his teenage years, I would guess, because they were talking about the sort of queen that she would wish that he would choose for himself. But there was communication here, a lot of communication. And what you need to do is start now, because you're not going to start later. Then it'll be too late. You know, what happens if what I'm saying is really rubbing in a raw spot. What happens if you're a mother and you haven't put all this into operation? How do I start now when it seems to be too late? I think of Moses and I think of the things if you do start when you can and you get it into them and you bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as best you can. That's what Moses' mother did and he did wonderfully well in the palace, didn't he? And then he blew it. He went out and killed a man. He lost his temper. Do you remember? And he became a fugitive. Have you ever thought that Moses' mother and father died while he was in the wilderness? And they never knew he came back to lead the people out of Egypt. As far as his parents were concerned, it was all over. But I believe that Moses' parents prayed, Oh, son of my womb. Oh, son of my vows. Oh, son of my womb until the day they died. And it might be that in heaven, you're gonna to have to wait until your children arise and call you blessed. 
But I believe if you pray as a queen of hearts should, one day they will. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful lessons that we can learn. And as we've thought of the absolutes, we need to teach our children. God's ten no-no's and the corresponding joy and privilege and the yes-yeses that come out of a life of trying to live straight and trying to live a royal life. We pray that we may be able to teach our children. We pray that we may be fair, we may be fun, we may be firm, and that there may be a lot of joy in our homes, a happy environment. These children call their mother happy. And may there be a light about our homes and not a heaviness about them. And may we make learning fun. May we model these things, Lord. May there be a lot of talk. And maybe, Lord, one day we would be privileged to hear our children call us blessed for the things that we have taught them and the things that we have brought them to in Christ. However, Lord, if that should not be, and we should not see it here, teach us to believe that if we train up a child in the way he shall go, when he is old, maybe that's how long we'll have to wait, he will not depart from it. Lord, teach us to be women with a great big O inside our souls for our children. For that's the highest calling that we can possibly respond to. May we be mothers of prayer. May we be our children's queen of hearts. We ask it for Christ's sake and in his name we pray. Amen.